Welcome to Native Yoga Toddcast. So happy you are here. My goal with this channel is to bring inspirational speakers to the mic in the field of yoga, massage, body work, and beyond. Follow us at Native Yoga and check us out at nativeyogacenter.com. All right, let's begin. Welcome. I'm pleased to bring in this conversation Mr. Brian Miller. You can check out Brian on Instagram at Brian Miller Yoga, spelled B R I A N M I L L E R Y O G A. And then also check out Brian's company. It's a superfood company called Carmivore Superfoods.com. And I'll have the links in the show notes below. Brian was kind enough to join me from his home in Montreal via telephone. And I had a, you know, Brian had taught a workshop here at our yoga studio in Juno Beach in about 2013, so a few years ago. And it really is a pleasure to have this conversation with Brian and and catch up and hear how he's doing and what his take is on the current environment, the yoga world, and give us some good inspiration for practice and eating healthy and exercise and keeping a positive frame of mind. And Brian's just a really cool dude. I'm excited for you to join in on this conversation we had. Let's begin. I'm so excited to have my friend Brian Miller here. Brian, you're up in Canada. How, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. It's great to be speaking to you. Thank you so much, Brian. You know, I'm really looking forward to catching up with you because you taught a yoga workshop here at our studio in Juno Beach, Florida. I want to say it was a good nine, not eight or nine years ago. And, you know, I'm just really excited to have a chance to reconnect with you and to see, you know, what's what's been happening for you and the evolution of your practice. And, uh, you know, it's winter time. We're in January here, 2022. What's, what's the weather like up? up where you're at. You're in Montreal, am I right? I'm in Montreal, correct. And it's been a brutally cold, consistently brutally cold winter uh, since like the middle of December. It's been, I got to do the conversion because we, we go in Celsius, so it's been like minus 20 degrees Celsius. So it's like pushing probably like oh my 10 gosh. degrees Fahrenheit, if even. Yes. So it's, it's been cold. It's been cold. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. And I mean, I have a lot of questions for you because I'm just so curious what, what, um, what it's like up there in Canada. And obviously, you know, weather-wise, I, I hear you. Um, are you, you know, are, are, you, are you practicing in your home? Are you traveling to a studio to practice? Are you, are you still practicing regularly? What, how are you feeling about yoga these days? So back, I was, Still practicing daily at a studio up until March 2020, mm-hmm. uh, right around middle of March 2020, when the COVID cases. Montreal at the time was like kind of at the center for COVID, and we just had like an explosion of cases. Not as bad as what's going on now, and not as bad as what was going on in the U.S. at the time. But for kind of the rest of Canada, it was concerning, and so uh, the Quebec government decided to take pretty drastic measures right away and, and shut everything down. And yoga studios and gyms were among the first to close. And 
stayed closed for quite a while. And it wasn't until after people were getting like their second doses of the vaccine did studios start opening up again, the ones that survived because a lot had shut down and, and never reopened. Yeah. But the ones that reopened, uh, reopened and they were open for pretty much like last summer up until the fall. And then once Omicron started to explode, um, the cases up here started getting really heavy again. And they announced uh, middle of December or so that they were shutting everything down again. And so I had actually waited up until uh, end of November to go back to the studio the studio, one of my regular studios had shut down and didn't reopen. And then the owner decided to reopen uh, under a new brand and same concepts and features, but just kind of revamped it a little bit. And um, so I was excited that they were kind of surviving and, and reopening and waited a little bit until I felt comfortable enough to go and then started going and did that for about two, maybe three weeks and then started feeling a little bit uncomfortable with how you know, crazy the case numbers were going yeah. and how busy some of the classes were getting. And I was starting to question what I would do. And then I was on a Sunday. It was my last class and I kind of felt that. Then I woke up on Monday and had an email saying that somebody in my class had tested positive and I may want to quarantine and get tested. And so I figured at that point, maybe it's time to take a break. And then they announced that they were shutting down gyms and yoga studios. Again. Wow. So wow. I had no choice. It was, time to take a break and so now all studios are closed and i think they now just announced that they'll be reopening sometime in the next uh few weeks possibly so wow that sounds extremely challenging economically what is the morale when you speak with you know other studio studio owners and or other yoga practitioners up there like where where's your morale with all this right now I think it's been uh, really tough and scary for a lot of people because the industry has definitely changed and how much it's going to go back to the way it was is really yeah. unknown. And a lot of people have gotten used to practicing online and and find there's benefit in practicing online instead of going to the studio. It's cheaper, it's more convenient, you can do it whenever you want. And so um, with that transition, if studios now need to have smaller classes because of concerns of pandemics. Um, it's a much more difficult business model to survive. And so yeah. costs are going to go up and cost yeah. sizes are going to go down. And who knows if that's going to be a sustainable model. So I think there's a lot of kind of uncertainty in, and also with studios closing in the middle of, you know, reopening and people have just put more money onto their accounts. And now all of a sudden yeah. they can't go. People are now going to start thinking twice about, well, do I want to risk another over $150 for studio membership that I may not get to use. Yeah. So who knows? And then uh, for teachers, it's definitely scary because their livelihood is kind of dried up in the meantime. And a lot of people have managed to kind of break out and do their own thing online, but there's only so much opportunity out there. And it's definitely tough and scary for a lot of people. Yeah. I agree with you. <laughs> I agree. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I really appreciate hearing that. From you know how it is. You yeah, you run your studio, so yeah, it's tough. 
it's a challenging game and I, and I feel like, you know, oh, I know a timeline, timeline wise, you know, I'm just trying to folk, remember exactly how this went down, but I feel like, you know, a year ago there was this, a, a little bit more optimism. And then, like you said, there's this, there's been this kind of resurgence and I feel like, um, you know, the fact that it's been almost two years now, right? March would be, would be two that, I guess, you know, two years ago, I thought this will last two weeks. You yeah, know, exactly. I, I was very, you know, un, uh, not, not aware of, of what this is, what we we're getting involved in here. So <laughs> I know I, I still feel optimistic. I don't know where that's coming from, but I, I do, I do have, I still can keep my optimism up. Are you in a, are you feeling the same way? I mean, I, I appreciate your yeah, honesty I mean, if not, take, you know, my take on the whole kind of pandemic and seeing the way that it's evolving the virus doesn't want to kill us all because then the virus will die also. So mm. as it moves towards endemic stages where people are getting cold symptoms and flu symptoms and have to stay home and not feel well for a few days, but we're used to that. We get yeah. colds, we get flu, yeah. and that's not so bad. As long as it's not taxing the medical system and the healthcare system and hospitals are overrun and not able to give other people the care that they need, uh, you know, that's, in my opinion, what we really need to fix and take care of, and then we can live with another variation of the cold and the flu. Yeah. And as long as we go there and the way the virus mutates in that direction, then it's not such a scary future outlook. Yeah. I think we have another solid year of dealing with this and then possibly moving there, but who knows how it will mutate. If it mutates in the opposite direction, then... Time. Good point. <laughs> we just don't know. <laughs> I hear Well, I, I feel like I want to reel it back just a little bit so that our listeners can get to know your history with yoga. But how did you... you... People aren't tired of talking about COVID? Oh, I know, right? Well, it's. I think we need to focus on reality. And yeah, I think, yeah, I definitely often hear people say, I'm just tired of talking about it and hearing about it but i think focusing and being present to reality is is important so i I, will come back to it i promise (laughs) but i am curious that's right that's right by by the second question i think we'll be back here again um but i i'm curious how you first got introduced to yoga i got introduced to yoga extremely unexpectedly and randomly. I was always somewhat kind of curious when yoga was starting to pop up and become more popular in probably around 2010 or so. Mm. And I don't know, in the back of my head, I was like, oh, one day I'll try it, but never had any kind of real desire or urge to, to go to class and do it. And at the time, guys weren't really going to yoga and, and none of my friends were into yoga and it was just nothing that I... Yeah, I didn't really have access to it. There were studios popping up and I could have gone, but nothing was drawing me to it. I did always have a pretty strong kind of health and wellness and fitness background. I started going to the gym when I was probably around 15 and did bodybuilding weight training all the way up until my 30s. And I'm not a big-framed guy. And so I was starting to feel like I was starting to get a little bit too 
kind of bulky and, and wider than I am tall. And I didn't really feel comfortable. It just wasn't a comfortable body to, to have and wasn't mm. what I was, you know, wasn't my purpose for exercise and working out. And so I started boxing as kind of like a complimentary exercise routine to my weightlifting and that got me into skipping. And so I'd go to the gym and I'd skip rope for 45 minutes and then I'd do my weight training and then I'd do some stretching and abs and cool down, whatever else. And three hours later, I'd be exhausted and I never felt like amazing after going to the gym. I felt good and like I got a good workout in and that was it. And one day I went to my boxing studio to take my boxing class and the teacher didn't show up and they had canceled the class and they had a yoga class going on at the same time. And so I figured, oh, I'm here already. Whatever, let me try this yoga thing, see what it's all about. And I felt a little awkward about it. It was still, you know, guys weren't doing yoga. And I didn't know, you know, what are people going to think? And, and yeah. what's this guy doing here in this class? And <laughs> I did it anyways. And there was no reason for me to, I realized as soon as I got in there, that there was no reason for me to feel that way. Everybody was doing their thing. And I really enjoyed it. It was an hour class. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I, it probably wasn't a great class if I had to pick it apart now, but it served its purpose and it was really a great experience. I finished the class feeling amazing, feeling a sense of like calmness and relaxation that I never really got from an exercise routine mm. before. And it was a, a really different connection and I had worked my whole body and built up this crazy sweat and felt amazing and it was 60 minutes and I got a lot more out of that 60 minutes than I would get out of three hours at the gym and nice. so it kind of made me be like hmm, there's something to this yeah. and I decided to go back the next day and do another yoga class with a different yoga teacher and that was actually an Anusara inspired class and like really really different experience but I still finished the class feeling you know, you know the same kind of voice very similar kind of energy and and again, I really liked it. And so I decided I'd keep going and see how it went. And so I went for the first two weeks, I went four times a week. I'd continue going to the gym. And so I'd go to the gym, work out, and then go to do a yoga class. And then after two weeks of that, I was like, all right, I think it's time for me to stop going to the gym. Uh, I went to Lululemon. And at the time, Lululemon did not have a men's section. They had like one pair of shorts and one tank top. And <laughs> yeah. that was it. And guys weren't wearing Lululemon and I felt a little bit awkward about that but I was like no I'm gonna take this seriously and so I bought my Lululemon outfit and I bought a yoga mat and I started going to the studio every day and no more boxing classes no more gym it was just yoga every day and within about three months I had lost about 25 or 30 pounds of muscle mass wow and I was never a big guy I'm, I'm so five foot seven five foot eight uh, at the time I was weighing about 175 pounds and I had dropped down to about 150 in that three months wow. and lost like a lot of the bulk that I just didn't want to carry. And it was like mostly muscle mass that I just didn't need. And yet I felt stronger than I had ever felt weighing 25, 30 pounds heavier of muscle. Mm. And my body had gone through this kind of yoga transformation and I really I never tested my flexibility before that but even from my first like couple classes you know I'd be in pigeon pose and my teacher kind of come up to me and be like are you sure that you've never done this before because <laughs> yeah. normally like 
especially guys, both your hips are not usually on the ground. <laughs> it just wasn't normal. And so it kind of intrigued me as to why am I getting so into this so quickly and my body adapting to it so quickly. And it yeah. was just, I really enjoyed it. And that kind of encouraged me to keep going and motivating me and inspiring me to, to keep at it. And I was just finishing law school at the time and starting my legal career and I had started a business before I had gone to law school that I was in the midst of closing up and was going through like a pretty stressful time between starting the law career, finishing law school, dealing with the business. And now I, part of the reason probably why I really appreciated yoga so quickly was because it was an hour that I took every day that just like really stopped that stress and got me into this state of relaxation that I didn't know how to tap into before. Right. And after the three months, I was like, okay, I need a vacation. I don't want to sit on a beach and just like relax for a week and I come back to the same stress and stuff that I'm dealing with. I want you know, an experience that's really going to rejuvenate me. And I had always wanted to go to Costa Rica. And I really, when I do things, I like to kind of do them well and learn them and figure them out. And so I figured if I'm going to have this serious yoga practice, I'd really like to learn how to do it properly because not getting the best instruction going to, you know, a 60 minute yoga class at a gym with yeah. 30 other people. Right. And I'd also, well, I was curious to know more about the history and the philosophy of the practice and, and what it is that I'm getting myself into. And so I had decided to do a month long teacher training in Costa Rica. One of my teachers had suggested that I did in this, that I would, that I should do in Ashtanga teacher training, which I had no idea what Ashtanga was. Uh, and yes. so I Googled Ashtanga yoga teacher training Costa Rica. The first website that came up looked amazing. I booked it right away and that was it. I was going to Costa Rica to do a month long teacher training. That's so cool, so, Brian. That's amazing. I did that. Um, that was like a couple months later. I came back from that trip with no interest in teaching. I really did it for my own experience, for my own knowledge, and to really get deeper into my own practice. And so I came back and started working back on like my legal career and everything else that I was working on before I had gone on this vacation. And I continued taking different teacher trainings and workshops, and I'd travel a little bit whenever there was like a cool opportunity. And about a year later, I had decided, you know what, after spending so much time and money developing or taking teacher training workshops and, and courses, you know, it's a passion of mine now. I may as well try teaching and see how I like it. And so I had decided tomorrow I'm going to wake up and call every studio owner I know and see who wants to give me you know, one or two classes a week just to get my feet wet and see if I like it just kind of like as a side thing. And again, I was still working on my legal career and it was never a career move. It was more of like a passion yeah. and hobby side project yeah. that I was just and so I woke up the next day about to make my list and this woman had called me and said, Hey, I'm just took over a yoga studio and I'm looking for an Ashtanga teacher with a strong practice and somebody who had recommended you, would you be interested in teaching? And so I was like, well, thank you university. Cause I was looking for that. Nice, so nice. Uh, I had agreed to start teaching and I had offered, you know, I'm a business guy and she had no, experience running a business and no interest in running a business. Uh. So I had offered to help with the management of the studio to help turn it around. 
And she's like, no, no, we're fine. We just, you know, wanted to teach a couple classes and that's it. So that was okay. And so I started teaching her for a couple of weeks and nobody even knew that the studio was open. She didn't rename it. There was no website. There was no sign. She just figured keep the doors open and people will show up. And so two or three people would show up a day and that's not enough to keep the studio alive. And so after a couple of weeks, she's like, all right, let's talk about partnership and had a discussion. I presented a whole business plan and I ended up taking over the studio from her and her husband. And so two weeks later, after saying, you know, maybe I'll teach one or two classes a week. Oh, wow. I'm owning a studio with <laughs> no funds or plan. And so I you know, had to start teaching classes. And so I'm teaching 20 classes a week and all of a sudden I'm a yoga teacher. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's a, a couple of questions popped up for, for, while you were telling me all that in, in the timeline. I'm curious, when you arrived in Costa Rica and you kind of dove into Ashtanga, having had the few you know, classes that you'd taken when you were getting started, were you enamored with the Ashtanga right off the bat? Like, because just so the listeners uh, can get a, a visual, I recommend recommend them to go to your Instagram page at Brian Miller Yoga which is spelled B-R-I-A-N, Miller Yoga, on Instagram, because you have, you know, a strong practice. You're, you got an incredible ability with arm balancing and also very flexible. So I think if people see, like, your ability level with the asana, that it's very impressive. So I'm thinking that if you went into the Ashtanga world, which really kind of highlights some of that intense, challenging yoga asana sequence were you floored by it or what was your like take on it when you first jumped into that experience in costa rica well first thank you very much i appreciate that <laughs> you're um, welcome. You're when welcome. when i had decided to do an ashtanga teacher training i really had no idea what ashtanga was and there was no instagram at the time and there was barely a youtube at the time and yeah i didn't have the exposure to the Ashtanga world to know what I was getting myself in. <laughs> yeah. One of my teachers, um, one of my teachers who is an older guy who's been teaching yoga for a long time and kind of pushed me a lot in class to do a lot of arm balancing. I knew that, you know, it was something that I really enjoyed and, and was working really hard to be able to do my handstands and stuff because I really wanted. Like that was one of my driving forces when I first started practicing. I just, really wanted to learn how to do a handstand. I didn't care about doing like transitions and all these other things. I'd just yeah. I would be happy if I could just hold a handstand for a couple seconds. It's just something, aside from the regular practice that kind of I was intrigued by and yeah. was working on. Yeah. And so he, when I started talking to him about potentially doing yoga teacher training, he right away said, oh, you'll really like Ashtanga and, and recognize it as a practice that I enjoy doing and kind of made the connection uh, to Ashtanga. I mean, essentially, all modern vinyasa stems from the style of the Ashtanga vinyasa yes. practice. And so it was just putting a little bit more structure and tradition into what I was already doing. Nice. And so when I signed up for this Ashtanga yoga teacher training, I got our reading list and the list of books that we needed to bring with us. And one of them was David Swenson's oh, yeah. Ashtanga Primary Second Series book, which is up until recently was probably like the Ashtanga Bible. And that's what everybody was learning Ashtanga off of. Correct. Uh, back then. Right. And 
the book, I mean, David learned Ashtanga back in like the 70s and the practices evolved from like a traditional perspective from how they're teaching it in Mysore now is very different than how David learned it when he learned yes. it. But that's how he learned it and so that's how he teaches it. And so when I was looking at these pictures in the book of all these different poses, I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> this is not the same yoga that I've been doing in studios back home. So this <laughs> yeah. is going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah. And I signed up for this yoga teacher training expecting that I'd be joining a whole bunch of Ashtangis who have been doing an Ashtanga practice their whole lives uh -huh. who are folding in these crazy positions and doing all these smooth flying transitions. And like, I'd like to do that, but Right. I'm not going to be there. And so I was kind of nervous that I was going to be this like oddball that can't keep up and it gets my teacher training. And of course that's not the case because everybody else that showed up, nobody else had a stronger practice. Gotcha. But I had read his book and was like, okay, this is how you do it. And I didn't realize that that's how he did it, not the way everybody else is doing it, but all of the transitions and the transition in, in the stronger are really such a big part of the practice it's yeah. not just the poses but it's really how you're moving in and out of the poses and how yeah. you kind of take that through the practice to balance the energy and so i remember the, the probably the funniest example of that was in the traditional way of doing uh navasana in the ashtanga primary series because you'll do five rounds of navasana for five breaths and at the end of the each five breaths of your Navasana, you do a little lift off. Yes. Uh, so your hands down, you lift your hips, you lift up for a second, and then you come back down and then go straight back into Navasana. So the more kind of um, intense way of doing that is instead of the lift off, you push up all the way from seated all the way up into handstand, come back down, put your legs through, back up into Navasana, five breaths, and then you lift up back up into handstand, and then you're doing that five times, which requires some effort. <laughs> yeah. And, I remember the first time I saw I, was, I saw someone do it, and I just thought, oh, my gosh. Like, what was that? And then, yeah, the reality of actually pulling that off is a whole nother situation. So reading that in a book and not even seeing somebody do that, you're just like, <laughs> yeah. that doesn't make sense. How is that possible? And so <laughs> I, I tried really, really hard going before my teacher training, I started to practice a bit of Ashtanga just so that I had some experience going into it. And I, I remember my first, and I kind of got there at that point. I was able to lift up and bring my arms, my legs through and kind of shifting my weight from side to side and like muscling my way through it. It would take me probably 10 or 20 breaths and I would get my feet up and then be dead and come through and, and go up. So my first Asanga practice at this teacher training, teacher calls out Navasana and we go up into Navasana and then people go put their hands down to lift off and I struggle to get myself up into a handstand and I kind of make it and I come down and my teacher comes up to me and is like, that was really impressive but you're going to kill yourself if you try and do that five times. <laughs> Maybe on your last one if you want to work on it, work on it but otherwise we have a four, do a little lift off. Yeah. And I was like, but that's not the traditional way and nobody else is doing it anyway so I was like, alright, I must kill myself. <laughs> and so I started to do four lifts and then on the fifth one I would push up into a handstand. By the end of my month in the teacher training, I pretty much 
got it. And I was able to lift up smoothly into a handstand and it. And I was super happy and, and proud that I could do it. And then at the end of my teacher training, we had an, a special, it was probably one of my, my most appreciated classes that I've ever taken. This amazing teacher, Mariela Cruz from Costa Rica, uh, came in as like a special guest teacher to teach us a real traditional Ashtanga class, yeah. uh, one of, on one of our last weeks of the trip. And nice. her traditional Ashtanga class is actually not traditional at all. And she's like, this is not a traditional Ashtanga class. I'm going to, you know, modify and combine some primary series and second series and give you a, like a nice case. And so she teaches this class and it was just her energy was unlike any other teacher I've ever experienced. It was really, really something special. And after class, she had come up to me and, and was chatting. She's like, you know, you have such a beautiful practice. It's so amazing to have you in my class. While you're in Costa Rica, if you ever want to come to my studio and practice with me, I'd love to have you. You're, you're invited anytime. And I was humbled and, and just so happy that to receive that invitation that I wanted to make sure that while I was still there, I'd have an opportunity to go. And I had planned this really amazing excursion on our last day off and and everybody was going, and I said, sorry, I'm not going anymore. I'm going to Mariela and taking her class instead. Yeah. And so I skipped out on that trip, and I went to Mariela's house, which was her studio, a beautiful, beautiful house, and, and home studio that she has, the whole top floor of her house. Uh, everything was imported from India. Really, really special place. Wow. And my one of my teachers from the trip was like, can I come too? And so I said, of course. And so we showed up thinking that we were joining a class, and it was just me, my teacher, and Mariella practicing together. And, <laughs> nice. You know, my teacher and myself were doing our primary series, and Mariella was practicing either third or fourth series. Uh -huh. And it was one of the most beautiful practices I've ever seen. And when I got into my Navasanas, I lifted up after four lift ups. And then on my fifth one, she saw me go up into a handstand, and she looked at me, and she's like, oh, wow. She's like, how come you're not doing all five? <laughs> and so all of a sudden, I had to go back and do all five again. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's so cool. I, I hear you. It's, I feel like those experiences where we're getting introduced and and realizing our potential or realizing potential in the practice is like some of the most magic moments. Yeah, and that's really, I think, something that's so special about having a daily practice and using that as real, uh, a real gauge to what's going on in your body and expecting that it's a linear path and always uh, inclining linear path is, is just not there to put yourself through. You go through things and, and things shift. And so you'll have days where you'll have an amazing practice and you'll have days where you have not such an amazing practice. Right. And by practicing every day and especially in a style of yoga like Ashtanga where you're doing the same practice every day, it really lets you have that gauge and notice how things are changing and, and are being affected by different things and and how that all works and, and kind of keeping up with that. That's really cool, Brian. And also you mentioned that you made a comment earlier that when you're when you do get passionate about something, you try your best to learn as much about it as you can. And I kind of got that sense from you when you were when you were here. And has have any other aspects of yoga attracted you? You'd made mention of being curious and interested in learning about the history and the philosophy. Or do you 
practice some of the other methods in terms of like mantra yoga and or do you have a meditation practice or um, kirtan or are there any other aspects that you've seemed to gravitate toward over the years? Um, personal practice, I, ha- I have my version of the meditation practice of mantras and kirtan. Kirtan I actually really, really appreciate and enjoy listening to. I haven't had much opportunity to partake, but when I have, the energy is really quite something special. Yeah. Um, one thing that I missed, and this was, so not long after I was at your studio uh, back in 2013 or 14, whatever that yeah. was, Yeah. Uh, I had started to travel and teach a lot of uh, yoga teacher training. And those experiences, being part of a teacher training is such an amazing transformative experience anyways. And whether you're a teacher or a student, still has that kind of impact. And it was really great being able to kind of go through that journey with people kind of so much. Agreed. And um, and on those trips, it was very similar to my first teacher training, and it wasn't just an asana practice, but we did a lot of history and philosophy, and there was mantra and, and meditation, and it was something that getting into it, I never in a million years thought that I would feel a connection towards or that I would actually enjoy, mm. uh, but I loved it. And, That's and cool. If you never sat in a group and kind of recited the mantra, and it seems like from like a Western perspective, where it's just so different from things that we're so used to doing, yes, it could seem like a little bit weird or strange. Uh, but it's really something that people should experience. It's really something special. I, I agree. I, I've noticed um, recently. I my my teacher. Uh, was really big into singing and using the harmonium and chanting different mantras. And I had put it down for a little while. And when I was going through something challenging recently, I found like I got pulled back to it and I, it has such a healing component. You know, there's something about it that is really comforting personally. So I agree with you. There's, there's amazing energy behind that. And, um, our, vibrations and energy it just it really you you feel it and uh, agreed i i agree brian and and when i was looking getting ready for us to have this conversation tonight i went and found out that you'd created a company called carmivore which is like a healthy food company and can you give me a little bit on your background, like in cooking and or your interest in healthy eating and how it came to be that you were able to start Carmivore? Yeah, so Carmivore is a little bit of a kind of culmination of a whole bunch of different interesting passions and experiences. I, back when I was 17, I think, I had started to cook in restaurants. It was like my first kind of jobs that I was getting out of high school yeah. and I worked in uh, probably eight or nine different restaurants and different types of cooks. And so I was always very creative and comfortable in the, in the kitchen. And I was never like a fast food kind of guy. I always tried to eat pretty healthy, especially coming from like a fitness mindset. I tried to eat as clean and healthy as I could. And when I went on my first trip to uh, Costa Rica for my teacher training, 
every morning they made or served this fresh peanut butter that was unlike anything I had ever had. It was mm. just delicious. And so one day I went up to the chef and I asked her, you know, what's the deal with the peanut butter? How do you make it so good? What else is in it? And she's like, it's just peanuts. There's huh. nothing else. It's just peanuts. I was like, but peanuts don't taste like this. And she's like, well, peanuts in Canada probably don't taste like this. These are like <laughs> local heirloom harvested peanuts. And so I went back home. And I was like, well, I want to get some of these peanuts. And so I started researching these peanuts and turns out they're jungle peanuts from Ecuador, which happen to be like the healthiest nut, even though it's not technically not, but they're like over 30% protein and it's a complete amino acid. So it gives you very similar um, protein to animal protein. And at the time I was switching to a vegan lifestyle and vegan diet. And so I had decided that, you know, this would be a good supplemental food for me to be, you know, adding to different dishes or whatever else. And so I was looking to find these peanuts and they were like 20 or $30 a pound, which is crazy expensive for peanuts, which are usually peanuts. Right, right. And so I uh, was looking to see if I could bring them in and I found a supplier, a distributor that I would order them in bulk and started making all kinds of like healthy versions of not so healthy foods that my not so healthy friends would come over and eat up and be like, I can't believe this is good for you. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. And so I decided, well, you know, there's a business opportunity. I had gone frustrated trying to switch to a healthier lifestyle when I, or a healthier diet when I go into the grocery store and look at, you know, the health food that was out there. A lot of it is whitewashed. It, it, the labeling is done to make it look like it's healthy. But if you actually read the ingredients and read the nutritional info, there's still a lot of really not so good stuff in there. And so yeah. it may be a healthier alternative to a lot of other crap, but it's still not healthy. And so I figured if you can make health food that's actually nutritionally dense and good for you, then that's what people looking for health food yeah. should be eating. And yeah. So, yeah. Nice. And so I started coming up with different, you know, different like variations of, of food and had a bunch of different potential products that I was deciding what I was going to do with it and that I would somehow turn it into business. And I was at a Wonderlust festival and I had gotten invited to Blue Lemon was a sponsor and they had this like Blue Lemon VIP teacher party that they had invited me to. And I was speaking to um, a regional Blue Lemon manager who I was just, we were talking, I don't know how it came up at the food business idea that I had for carnivore had kind of crept up into the conversation. She's like, Oh, well, next week we're doing this whole regional event for like all of the lemon stores across Quebec. And we're looking for a food sponsor. If you want to do it, it's all yours. And so nice. I figured, well, perfect time. I'll test it out and see how, uh, how people like it. And I had a friend at the time I was interested in partnering up. And so we, you know, we time came up with all of the branding and everything else, but together it went really well. And so I figured, okay, let's see what I do with this. And so I continued to kind of build that business while I was still traveling and teaching. And so I'd be home for a month and gone for a month and back home for a few weeks. And I'd kind of work on the business a little bit while I was traveling. And with all of the connections I had to yoga studios and gyms and stuff, I got the product into a lot of those locations. And it was doing, you know, pretty well. And I had like a 
steady kind of plan with them. I'd fill their, um, fill their orders while I was in town and then travel yeah. for a little bit. They yeah. sell through and be ready for the next order when I came home. And I realized after doing that for a little while that I don't really build momentum for the business while I'm out of town half the year. And so yeah. on my last big long trip, I was in St. Lucia for a month and I just was thinking about it and realized, you know, I'm getting older and if I get injured or sick and I can't travel at that time, traveling and teaching was essentially my like primary source of income. Yeah. It was really hard to maintain a schedule teaching at studios while I'm, you know, here and there and gone and, and not around doesn't work yeah. and so the business was a good kind of side hustle and then I, I was realizing you know what maybe it's time to focus on the business and turn that into like a real sustainable business and that will give me the flexibility to start traveling again at some point in the future and so I had decided to take a break from traveling and focus on the business and weird how things happen I ended up coming home from that trip and found out that I had a minor tear in my meniscus that um, I ended up getting operated on. Yeah. And so I was out for a good six months and wouldn't have been able to travel and teach anyways. And so that had like a pretty big shift on everything that was going on in my life at the time. And I had taken a break from the traveling and uh, it had an impact on my practice. I had to really stop practicing for a couple months yeah. and took yeah. that time to really focus on the business. What what year is this, Brian? Are we talking like 2018, 2019? Um, this was 2016, 2017. Gotcha. So kind of pre, well, obviously pre-2020, so... Everything was moving. Pre-2020. <laughs> it's like yeah. BC and AD. It was like, you know, back in the old days before. No. But um, so so you were able to get that going pretty well then when you when you were settled down there and really focused on getting the your food company or the carnivore going to that. What, how did, what evolved from there? So then over the next few years, I essentially worked full-time at running and growing the food company I had gone through, wow. uh, you know, had a couple different partners that had come in at different times and um, unfortunately none of them ended up working out. And so I uh, kept kind of looking over the few years on how to really grow and scale the business because it was really hard for me to do that solo, uh, just limitations on time and capital resources. Yeah. So it's yeah. really without having the, the right partner to, Really bring it to the next level. I I was really just kind of sustaining and running the business. Yeah. I was still teaching um, in the city, and so I had stopped traveling. And I do some little trips here and there, but I wasn't booking month-long trips anymore. Yeah, and um, I was teaching at a few studios. Kind of, it was the passion that I didn't really want to give up, and it was a little side income to supplement the kind of working on and growing yeah, the business. Yeah, yeah. And so I kind of did both in tandem for a little bit. And then uh, that went on for a year, year and a half. And then all of a sudden COVID hit. And so my kind of thinking, I well, hey, if I can't travel and teach and I have no source of income, I would have been really stuck with two years of not being able to travel and teach. So yeah. I'm very happy that I kind of 
had the, uh, the foresight to you know, pull back on the teaching and, and focus on something else. I hear ya. I hear ya. You know, and, and actually, uh, another uh, something I'm curious about is when you were visiting here, which is you know, like we said a few quite a, quite a while ago, your your Instagram following was quite large. And when I just went and looked at your uh, Instagram account today, I noticed that you know you got a huge following. You know, <laughs> for like forty four something, forty four thousand people. But then I saw you haven't posted anything for quite a while and i'm just kind of curious i guess a couple of my questions are i think when people watch other people who are successful on social media and then maybe you might have gotten dubbed the term like a, an influencer and it seems like an ideal to strive toward but then i hear people who have different feelings about what it can be like to have that constant daily push to try to keep up with it as a, as a as a challenge you know it can become very challenging and i i just would love to hear your take on your building of your social media platform and and why or where you're at that caused you, causes you or caused you to take a break from it so a little bit of, a, I guess, a loaded question. There's a lot of different aspects to the answer to that question. Okay. Uh, part of it is it was a little bit situational, and part of it was just kind of the progression of social media from the time that I got into it to where it went, and then kind of just life forces pushing things in different directions. Yeah. When I'm not, I'm not the type of person that would have ever thought that I would start posting pictures of myself doing yoga or talking about myself or anything. It was just not so much my personality. Yeah. And when I took over that yoga studio and I now had this dying business that I needed to figure out how to turn around, Instagram had just, just started to become a real platform. Yeah. And it, this was back in 2013, I believe. Mm -hmm. And I think Instagram had a total global user base of about 30 million people, mm. which is still massive and huge, but nothing close to what it is now. Right. And it was really a good time for me to get into it. The way Instagram was working, it was only pictures at the time, so there was no video. And it was really just user-driven content, people sharing whatever they are sharing. Yeah. And it wasn't a branding tool. It wasn't a marketing tool. It was really just people sharing and building community. Yeah. And so a friend of mine had said, you know what, you, you got to start posting pictures on Instagram and use that to help you know promote the studio and get people to start coming to your class. And I had just started teaching. I had done a lot of trainings, but I had never actually taught. And all of a sudden, I own a studio and I'm teaching 20 classes a week. I needed experience. And so... I started posting on Instagram and I'd give tutorials and people would, and this is probably like a year and a half, two years into my yoga practice. And I had already started developing a relatively strong practice. Mm. And so I would post these, you know, relatively crazy poses and then give tutorials and people would send me comments like, Hey, how come when I try this, my neck hurts or this person, I'd look at their pictures and I'd give them little tips and it was giving me some teaching experience and it was helping people yeah. out and we were all sharing inspiration and it yeah. was a really nice community 
to be part of. And at the time, there was probably like seven or eight or a dozen of us who were kind of like the first yoga influencers. Uh. And we just ran a lot of like the monthly challenges and, and kind of got the community together. And there was, I would guess, probably about 50 to 100,000 people posting regularly about yoga on Instagram. At the yeah. time. And you know, there's a lot of familiar faces and it was big, but it was small enough that you would still kind of develop these relationships or, or, you know, know each other in a sense. Yeah. In this virtual space. And after doing that for a few weeks, I had built up, you know, like 1,500 followers in the first month. And I was just like, I can't believe I have 1,000 followers. I thought it was crazy. And then yeah. Instagram ended up emailing me. And, and again, the algorithms and the platform was very different back then. And Instagram emailed me and said, you know, we love the community involvement that you're developing. Um, we're going to feature you as a suggested user. And they started to, you know, kind of pushing my content onto people. Oh, wow. And then they would start posting, like the main Instagram account would post, check out the top three yoga accounts and list me as one of them. And uh, I was laughing. I was like, who top three what? I just yeah. thought like, yeah. I'm not the top three of anything. I'll take the credit. <laughs> yeah. Sure, thank you. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but now I've got some big... Yeah, so that makes that sense. So that really was yep. fun, the wow. whole thing. And then all wow. of a sudden my account just exploded and I went from you know, 1,500 followers to 10,000 followers. And then all of a sudden I was getting invitations to come travel and teach because everyone was like, well, who's this Brian Miller Yoga? The top three yoga. Yeah. That's amazing. That's a good, I I can see, I can see how that evolution. So, so obviously it's different now. Do you think that that's so massive now that that type of explosion is less likely? Is, Is that something that you're alluding to or and, and you made mention of like changes in algorithm and what, what is, what, what are you thinking nowadays? Like, what are your thoughts on it all? So this is actually a big part of the reason why I became less active and, and mm. stopped posting regularly. When I had decided that it was possibly time to take a break from traveling and focus on the business, I had realized at the time I was traveling probably about 50% of the year and to make it a real sustainable, viable livelihood, I would have really needed to have been traveling at least 70%. Wow. That wasn't really the lifestyle that I yeah. wanted, but I also saw that my teaching opportunities were starting to get less, even though I was growing on the platform. And what was happening was in the U.S., there were kind of yoga talent agents that were recruiting teachers and then would kind of take care of booking their workshops and everything and giving them opportunities. And so a lot of the studios that I had been traveling for internationally were working with these agents and being in Canada and not having the visas to work with U.S. agents and and being out of kind of the loop. I I was losing out on those opportunities. And also the kind of shift from this nice community of inspiration-driven content was really starting to move into a paid promotions platform. Mm. And it was, you know, check out my content, but these pants were provided by so-and-so. And And it was a real different feeling from what I had originally started working with. And what I really, what inspired me. And, And I didn't like that 
kind yeah. of shift. And yeah. Again, being in Canada, I wasn't getting the same opportunities that my other influencer friends were getting. And, and so I that makes sense. realized that there may yeah. not be the potential behind it that I had before. And yeah. That's so interesting. I love hearing this from you. I'm, I'm just curious. I, what about, um, how do you, or how, how did you, cause obviously you said you haven't, haven't really been like full on, full on into it lately, but did you ever have a challenge with people making negative comments? Is that something you were easy, easy to brush off or I never saw any negative comments. So I have no idea if anyone ever did that to you, but I have heard people say like, you know, that troll effect where it's like, there's just haters out there sometimes that like, you know, you're doing, you're putting out something that, and did you ever have an issue with that? Or was that something that just, you were able to slide past? I think probably because of when I was heavily involved in using the platform, it was probably before it became a, as big of, his, of an issue gotcha. as it is now. There's definitely people that are going to hate and, and leave negative comments and, there is so much overwhelmingly positive comments that you yeah. kind of just brush off the negative ones, and there's going to be people like the, people like that out there. Yeah, um, I definitely noticed, and it's kind of a completely different topic. But you think in the yoga world that everyone's so nice and polite and thoughtful, and like that's so far, <laughs> and people are still people, and and there's still a lot of yeah. crap that gets thrown. Yeah, and so I got pulled into all kinds of. Instagram yoga beef where people are like, for whatever reason, you know, they're fighting amongst each other, and it always that was you know the types of things that just push me away from it. Yeah, I, I that makes like that, that type of drama. There's no no need for it. That makes perfect sense. Cool, man. I appreciate you sharing all that. What you know, I know, I know. Well, I'm just curious. What do you have any goals that you're striving toward now? Like, what's I know you're meticulous about focusing on things and really learning, getting to the nitty gritty. What's what's got your attention now? What what are you striving toward? I think that's always an evolving thing or, or things. Yeah, I've always been very kind of passion driven and like finding opportunity in, in my passions, and so it's always very fluid and depending on what's kind of going on at the time. So with my knee surgery, I had, you know, taken a break from travel from, from practicing and coming back to the practice and dealing with the rehab and stuff definitely had an effect on my practice. And yeah. over the last few years, my practice has gone in like up and down in terms of how intense I practice. I'll go through, you know, a month or two where I'll, lay low on my practice and see how that affects my body and then yeah. I'll go back and practice a lot more vigorously and and longer practices and more often and see if that's having a positive or negative impact. And I think, you know, especially as you get older and as you get more in tune with your body, noticing those kinds of shifts and, and understanding what works for you is, is super important. And so it's definitely had an impact on how I practice. And with the studios shutting down uh, and not having access to regular classes, which I like from the community aspect and kind of being out in the energy of practicing with people. Yeah. But for the past couple of years, I didn't really love 
the actual classes and, and what was being taught in the classes. Yeah. And so it's kind of pushed me back into enjoying having my own personal practice and focusing on, you know, what my body needs that day. Nice. Um, and so that's been kind of my inspiration over the past little bit, especially not having access to studios again, is to really get back into a more serious uh, practice. And I had shifted from my Ashtanga practice, and I recently started practicing a little bit more Ashtanga and yeah. kind of rekindling those flames. Nice. That's awesome, Brian. It's making me think while you're saying that. Well, I mean, I know, uh, well, my thought is maybe you can come back one day down here. Come back and visit us. I know right now travel, traveling is a little bit like, you know, maybe right now isn't the best time. <clears throat> Marketing workshops and with groups of people is, you know, <laughs> not the easiest right now. But as things shift back toward that, you know, that realm of where we're, you know, in that zone, it'd be so cool to have you back here again. I really enjoyed the time that when you were here and I'm, I'm really appreciative to have this opportunity to reconnect and, and hear where you're at. I, I do have another question. Are you okay? I, I know we've been on here a while. Are you, are you okay with one more? Yeah, <laughs> All right, cool. Um, you know, what's a problem that you've recently encountered that has really challenged you and has caused you to rethink your approach to finding a solution? Have you gone through anything recently? You have mentioned, you've already mentioned quite a few things, actually, the challenges in terms of like operating business during COVID time and, you know, having things shut down. And, but I'm just curious so the listeners can get some insights into like your problem solving strategies. But what's something that you've, you could uh, apply this question to? Um, I, over the past, I'd say, year so much of my life has just been in constant flux and change and just adapting and dealing with that is definitely a challenge that i think people often overlook it's like how resistant we are to change and and how hard it is to actually deal with all of the adjustments that come from that change yeah um and so it's everything from you know seeing my business when COVID hit and, and seeing all of a sudden, you know, two thirds of my customer base is just not there anymore and, yeah. and needing to figure out a way to switch the whole thing around because now I still have overhead and I still have expenses and something's earn a living. And so, you know, how do you navigate that and, and make it work? And I've always kind of just not operated on a plan where it says this is kind of where things have to go and how I have to do them and leave things a little bit more open to them just working out and, and yeah. navigating yeah. Uh, opportunity as they come. And so right as I was having the, you know, the internal discussion of, you know, is it time to maybe put the brakes on the company and look at doing something else if I can't get the, you know, missing pieces together. And right at that time, I get approached with the job opportunity that, you know, a great job that I'm now working on and, and loving. Nice. And so it's kind of just being open to letting things happen and things work out. You just have to kind of look for the signs and, and listen and know what you want and what's going to make you happy and you go for it. Great answer. That's inspirational. I think you're right. Like 
<laughs> being uh, being relaxed enough to be open and, and and have those opportunities present them and i hear you man that's cool but to end with where we started that to me was the biggest if i have to take a takeaway from yoga and what it's kind of provided me throughout the years of my practice is physical is one part of it but really learning how to tap into relaxation and, and stay calm and deal with difficult, challenging situations, whether it's a challenging asana or challenging sequence or challenges in life, but really maintaining that calmness and knowing that everything's temporary and you'll make it through it. It's just a question of how. And by staying relaxed, you're able to see things clearly and, and you can work through them. And if you stay stressed and tight and rigid, you lose it. That's when you break. Yeah. And one of my you know, a yoga teacher, a friend of mine who teaches a lot of meditation, I was a takeaway I got from him years ago is the most successful people are those that can find relaxation in the most stressful and complicated situation. Mm. And the top CEOs, the top you know, professional athletes, if you look at them when they're performing their best, they still look super calm, collected, and cool. Mm. And by maintaining that, that's how they're able to perform mm. at a like, superhuman level. Yeah, good point. Good observation. That's awesome, Brian. Man, well, I really, I really enjoy this opportunity. And I hope to do it again soon. If you're ever coming down to Florida, I'll invite you when, when you're ready to start traveling again. It'd be so great to see you. And uh, thank you for taking this time, and uh, I'm I'm excited for for all of you listening. Uh, you know, check out Brian on his Instagram and his uh, website, carnivore.com and carnivoresuperfoods.com. Carnivoresuperfoods.com. Thank you for correcting me. <laughs> no, and I will and I will <laughs> and I will type it out in the show notes below. So if you're driving and listening or something like that, you can just click on it later on. <laughs> awesome, Brian. Well, man, thank you so much. And I, I wish you the best and a good pretty soon here spring's gonna be coming around the corner and some warm weather and getting those bones warmed up. <laughs> Can't wait for it. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again for reaching out and reconnecting. It's uh, it's really been great, great chatting with you. And I will take you up on that invite to come down to Florida as soon as I can. You know it, man. That sounds great. Well, thanks again, Brian. We'll catch up. Take care. Be All good. Right. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Native Yoga Toddcast is produced by myself. The theme music is dreamed up by Bryce Allen. If you like this show, let me know. If there's room for improvement, I want to hear that too. We are curious to know what you think and what you want more of, what I can improve. And if you have ideas for future guests or topics, please send us your thoughts to info at Native Yoga Center. You can find us at nativeyogacenter.com. And hey, if you did like this episode, share it with your friends, rate it and review and join us next time.